You're listening to The Tool Belt, a manufacturing podcast focusing on logistics, safety, operations, and breaking industry news. Welcome to today's web chat. Today we're talking with Michael Demiria. He's a product manager for Azima DLI, which is part of Fluke Reliability. Uh, Michael manages the hardware platforms and integrations, diagnostic software and AI tools, and user portal deliverables and business metrics for Azima DLI. His background uh, is in Navy nuclear engineering, but he has also been working in the vibration analysis arena for more than 30 years. And I've known him for several years now in my capacity as chief editor of plant services. I'm excited to be talking with him today. Michael, thanks for being on the web chat. Uh, thank you, Tom. Very happy to be here. You know, I remember uh, working and talking with people like you and Bert Herlock, who were some of my, my first conversations nine years ago on plant services. And I'm amazed that I think the industry is finally maybe starting to catch up with, with where you guys were heading in those early days. <laughs> it seems like nine years just seems like yesterday, Tom. Um, but you're right, man. Uh, technology has been changing so quickly, uh, hasn't it? Um, where we yeah. where we started, though, you know, a lot of the principles that we've done uh, from the old DLI days since like 1966, um, the ideas of how we approach the market. Uh, still holds true, but I think what's really changing is how fast uh, things are growing and how much we can scale. That That's really um, novel nowadays, right? Right. I was struck this year at the SMRP annual conference at how much artificial intelligence has penetrated the industry conversation. It's been here for a while. We've had these tools available, uh, but maybe not in their currently mature state. Certainly, not in a state where you get a lot of presenters at an annual conference showcasing what they're doing and how they're doing it and the results they're achieving. Um, are, are you seeing that too? Oh my good, yeah. We're in a world of of so much data, uh, and humans can't handle that kind of data. And if you're if you haven't been focusing on where AI is today, um, now you're I think you're you're behind the curve just a little bit. Uh, We've had uh, conversations about, you know, where is, say, ChatGPT and the like. Um, and if you haven't used it, uh, if you'll you'll have at some point this ex this mind blown experience with something like ChatGPT, where you're thinking how um, how this is going to really kind of revolutionize kind of the, the skill sets, the gaps. Um, the the efficiency of being able to get through data i think you're you're right at uh, like smrp plants have so many more sensors that are being tracking everything within it's not just a uh here i have a, a maintenance team that's just trying to fix problems and fight fires it's uh i have sensors on everything about my process mm -hmm. uh and it's weird i think that a lot of people haven't don't know what to do with all that data you know I, there was a study out not long ago i remember seeing you know it was a very small percentage of that data is actually really being utilized and that's that, that's where ai is really going to kind of come in how do i how do i get through that maybe we could take a step back and ask where do you see artificial intelligence as having the greatest impact in general for businesses over the over the next few years and this could include condition monitoring but it could include other stuff as well 
You know, I think the biggest thing is going to be that um, the skills gap that plants have, mm. uh, the resource gap. I think those are two different things, right? I don't have enough people or I don't have enough skilled people. Um, plants, this is when we've been talking with customers, that seems to be kind of the biggest thing that we hear back is uh, I have those constraints, right? I don't have the expertise that knows what to do with all of this data. Uh, we will look, I keep hearing, um, you know, something happens and then we go, then we go back and then we look at the data to see what, what might be telling us or giving us an indicator. Um, and then the other thing is, um, uh, you're waiting then on something to occur. So, uh, I think getting an, a trained AI system is like, I think going to be the key, uh, to it all. So, uh, I can have all this data that comes in and then be able to then utilize the limited staff that I have more effectively, uh, get more out of less, you know, but you actually have, you have so much more data, but I have less resources. So how do I bridge those two things? I think that's where AI is going to take us. Interesting. You know, that that echoes what I observed at the Fabtech industry show this year, where it was a combination of robotic automation, but also artificial intelligence. Uh, people saw this as critical right now to covering mm -hmm. the skills gap uh, that there, there just don't seem to be enough people with necessary skills on hand to as as either new plants ramp up or old plants uh, evolve. Yeah, yeah. Production is so much more than it was before. Uh, plants are operating around the clock. Uh, and this is a skill that is hard to come by. Um, people, new, new engineers are not wanting to get into this field. Um, it's not really the trade that people go after uh, coming mm -hmm. out of um, out of schooling. And then if you do have this as a skill set uh, in a plant, hard to hard to keep them, right? Because yeah. they're such in such high demand. Uh, so we find that that's I, again that's where I, I I hear the most from our customers today is that I I just can't find them, I can't keep them, and we are now overwhelmed with. A production understanding of the data that's coming in, you know, it's costly. Yeah, yeah. You, you alluded to that earlier too. Let, let's focus on that data issue. Um, there's so many sensors available, mm -hmm. so much data being collected uh, by plants, not just condition monitoring or asset health, but also business data coming in. Um, what are some of the challenges that you're hearing from people in the field as they try and throw their arms around all the data being collected? We do have a lot of experience in this one. Um, uh, Zima DLI, we're in, in addition to having uh, software uh, that handles kind of this volume of data, uh, we have a team of service people that actually utilizes that to, um, to get through it. Running all of our numbers for 2023 of what is that volume, and I think the number came in at about 450,000 machine tests that we're analyzing this year wow. so far. Uh, but we have a, a small uh, team of analysts, our, but our utilization rate is astronomical. I think we have, I think it came out to somewhere between 1,500 to 2,500 machine tests per month per analyst. It's about five times the industry standard. Uh, and it's that ability to do that is um, having kind of tooling, these types of AI-enabled uh, diagnostic tools. Uh, so I, we certainly have some experience in here and how we handle 
handle this, but it, I think it speaks to the kind of the challenges that that people have in this. Um, the reason why we can is because that AI-enabled uh, diagnostic software kit is already pre-trained. I think when people think about uh, AI systems, there's a kind of a misconception about where what it is. You know, you you hear about say ChatGPT, and I can put in a question, and it spits out all kinds of answers for me. Uh, but that comes from a tremendous amount of training to have it know what it's supposed to talk about. Um, if you look at what you know, Google or Microsoft or or the like have done, OpenAI have done in getting all of this data sourced into the AI tooling in order to do what it does, that doesn't necessarily equate to anything across any industry. You still have to have a trained um, data set. And vibration and predictive maintenance, generally speaking, there's not an a lot of data that's out there, trained mm -hmm. data that's out there, tagged to different machine types and faults that have been identified to understand how those uh, patterns work. Mm -hmm. We've had this luxury and how we can get through that uh, 450,000 machine tests is the fact that we have been saving, storing data uh, since the early 90s when our first software came out in 19... Uh, in 1990, um, we had been capturing that type of that tagging. We've been training a the pattern recognition to understand these are the different nuances of how data comes in and how you can get a result uh, out of it. Uh, so I think the challenge that people have is there's a misunderstanding about what's necessary in order to get an AI to work. Uh, and that you know is a trained system. You can't wait. You can't wait for a fault to occur and then say, "Hey, uh, hope we don't have this one again," because that was very costly. Right. Uh, you have to have already something that can give you those faults uh, beforehand. So um, the other thing I think I think people see in the challenge of this world, especially when you start talking about IIoT sensors, mm -hmm. is. Um, I see the industry, the maintenance group, kind of downgrading the type of expectations out of a program. You know, in if you think about what happened in the early 2000s, 90s, 2000s, when vibration analyzers really kind of came out, you had this really uptick in a skill set. You had the you know, level three, level uh, mostly level three, but some level four, but was definitely level two analysts that would be out in the plant uh, capturing capturing data, troubleshooting, understanding really the the science behind vibration and the like. But then all of a sudden we got these wireless sensors out there and people jumped on having sensors across my plant. But the technology of the wireless sensors isn't the same as that high-end instrument that people would use uh, to go around and do route-based. So now all of a sudden, what we've come to is less quality of the data that you're capturing about your machines. I mean, certainly there's capabilities of it, but it's not it's not on par. So plants have become, I think, a little bit more uh, accepting of more of a, like a, um, what we used to have 
in like the uh, late 80s, right? The kind of that go, no go, kind of a hand raiser. I have the checkbox. I'm, I'm doing a vibration program. It's not that technical as it was 10 years ago. It's more generally speaking, you know, a, a, a solution that we had say 30 years ago. I think the technology will change, right? So the sensors, those are constantly evolving that you'll get back up to it. But right now there's this challenge of really kind of understanding uh, what is it that the, the systems are capable of doing and if that matches what I really need to get out of my program. Okay. Are we looking at things like existing proactive maintenance strategies, the, this route-based predictive maintenance, uh, changing as a result as AI gets integrated, or are we are we looking at AI being more part of the master program, not replacing old modes of doing things, but but more as an additional resource to use? Yeah, it's kind of like it kind of speaks to that previous point where um, what are those strategies, right? Mm -hmm. So, and you're looking at your maintenance program, mm -hmm. what is it that you really want out of it? And it's not necessarily, there's not one answer that fits all. There's certainly a lot of variation um, depending upon kind of how you operate, the types of machines that you have, how, how integrated you are. Um, for example, a, a service provider, like an OEM example, has a different approach to how they do um, predictive maintenance. Right, they're more of a monitor. So having some sort of uh, sensor devices that are installed on the machines to be able to say, hey, something, something's going on. And then you can go in and you can troubleshoot. Uh, that's certainly a, a strategy that works, but a plant who's operating wouldn't necessarily want that. Uh, we hear a lot of this type of approach where now all of a sudden you got a lot of nuance, uh, nuisance alarms, right? Uh, a lot of the boy crying wolf, there's just so many things that are happening. Uh, I can't filter through all those. So plants, a uh, plants maintenance strategy might be uh, only only get my attention when there's absolutely critical that something is going on. Mm -hmm. So I might have a, a, a different system and approach. Uh, and this, this is again where software can really kind of come in, scrub through that pattern of data, and say, hey, look, I have. I have a problem. This is the problem. This is what needs to be done. This is urgent. I need to make sure that I I can mitigate those those issues right away. Mostly a maintenance department thing. Uh, and then there's other plants that uh, really want to understand what's emerging. Uh, the time that it takes me to get my process in line, the the supplies into a queue, and how it manages through my my operation is costly time consuming so i need to understand emerging faults so i can plan for downtimes and repairs and the like yeah. yeah your your example of the overabundance of alarms uh mm -hmm. shooting off reminded me of a presentation that was delivered at the smrp conference and i believe it was by the a saudi aramco team where they had worked with uh some machine learning ai type software to cut through all of the alarms that were that were being sent by a program which had basically, you know, the, the baseline was simply, uh, I, I don't know if it was standards based set baselines or if it was simply the corporate baseline. But in any case, the baselines were set so generously mm -hmm. that, 
there was simply an overabundance of alarm showing up and they had to have a, a tactic to understand, as you said, what were the most relevant alarms? What was the likelihood of the costliest failure? Um, what could they learn from these alarms, which wouldn't make them wait for the catastrophe and, and shorten that yeah. time to action? Yes, certainly. You, you when you when you set your thresholds, um, and we we you you do this for say the overall data as you mentioned, or you know just kind of process points um, thresholds. Uh, but also it applies to you know narrow band analysis as we're doing, uh, which has a lot of data. Um, you would have to pick which side you want to you would fail on. Right? You can't be 100% accurate 100% of the time. You have to plan for if you have inaccuracies, which side of the line are you going to be on? A false mm -hmm. positive or a false negative? And you most certainly don't want to be false negative. You don't want to have a fault, a machine failure without having any kind of um, warning about that. Right. So when we when we set our, our, we do a statistical average baseline a representation of what's normal and healthy for narrowband analysis. And then we uh, have this pattern recognition to find every deviation from that. And then it weighs it, right? So uh, how uh, how does that data look across the, the, you know, from the low range to high frequency range within uh, a location on a machine or all the different orthogonal axes on that location uh, to across the entire machine train? So how does all that data come together and generate a, a pattern? And then our, our tooling then deciphers that to try to come up with what is the actionable item. And when we set those thresholds, uh, we might over overstate those uh, to say, hey, I have, there's a problem. Um, you, you should certainly be aware of this. But it certainly could be overstated. We'd rather overstate the issue uh, than to completely miss the issue or understate it. Uh, so yeah, we we do find I think our numbers from that that data set that I was talking about the mm -hmm. uh, order fifty thousand tests. Uh, we track <laughs> all of our all those false positives, all those false negatives very closely. Right? How can we improve upon the accuracy of the system? Uh, I think we have about a a. What is it? Three or four percent uh, faults positive rate, meaning that we've downgraded a a fault down down a, a level, right? So we've overstated it, but we needed to downgrade it or steer the course just a little bit. Um, from a nuisance perspective, though, I think this is where uh, you also have to consider where people think of AI as a hundred percent autonomous. I, you know, it's 100% accurate all the time. Right. Uh, there's, it's no nothing that has to be um, manipulated in order to make it work, and that's not really the case, right? So that's yeah, that's interesting because it's it's the kind of concern that would arise with someone trying to implement it for the first time and might not understand that this is not just a turnkey autonomous thing, like you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the way I always talk about it is you're not going to do a multi-million dollar repair on a machine without having some human eyes that looked at that data at least mm -hmm. once, right? Uh, and it's the same case here, that uh, false positive rate that I mentioned, uh, that's from our perspective when we do, uh, and that's from our services, the customer doesn't ever really see that. 
we've intercepted that. We track it heavily because we want to improve upon the system. Uh, so we we can add, you know, retrain it. We can add new data sets into it. Uh, we can help define the patterns. Um, I think which is another really good cool thing of AI is how do you fill the gaps in order to understand what peaks might be coming from. Uh -huh. uh, but we've steered the course. We've looked at the data. We've looked at uh, other factors that come in, like um, you know other process parameters or um, you know things that somebody sees on a machine. Hey, it's also hot, <laughs> which helps steer the course of what you're going to do. And then we adapt it so we can fine tune the end result so a customer just sees you know what's really true about what's wrong with the machine. But I, I think the point is, is that, you know, if you are uh, putting a, a thing in place, uh, you shouldn't ever think about vibration being a completely autonomous tool as of yet. It'll certainly get you started. It certainly um, creates warnings and alerts. Uh, ours, for example, will give you a first pass of analysis. Uh, but you would generally not leave it just at that. You would want some human element uh, as part of your your workflow, so that and, and that's back to our that number one challenge that we talked about, right? Plants that just don't have those resources. So you mentioned vibration sensors before, Michael, when you were talking about uh, the role of AI to process data. Uh, in general, for those who might be thinking about moving into more proactive maintenance modes, um, how have you seen wireless vibration sensors applied specifically for condition monitoring? And you know, how do they work with AI analysis software? Well, I think your wireless is most certainly the future. Um, there's no, no doubt that that's where we're headed. Um, we, uh, what is it, probably at least 10 years now that we've had wireless sensors on the market. Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't though. We started our wireless vibration sensor journey only about maybe three years ago. Uh, there's definitely a reason for that. Um, we were waiting for the technology to be able to use our diagnostic engine. Uh, and plants are operating more around the clock. So I also want sensors on my machines uh, giving me more frequent diagnostics than what we did you know, with, with monthly routes or quarterly routes. Um, so most definitely it is, it is the future. Uh, and the technology is still rapidly changing. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a couple couple of things here when you're going heading down that route of what is the role. Uh, I think the role is keeping uh, plants aware of what is those, where's the risks? How do I steer the course and the like? Uh, but I don't think you should think of it as, hey, this is the technology today and this is what I'm stuck with. I think, you know, every year we're going to see improvements across that that technology. Um, you know, where we're, where we're at today will be probably uh, different next year, drastically different three years from now. Um, so I think companies have to really kind of learn how to adapt, uh, to that. How do I manage it? Uh, it certainly creates new challenges. You know, I'm putting sensors on machines. How do I manage those? Mm -hmm. Um, but then back to that volume of data, right? So now if, if think about, I had, uh, a route-based collector that was capturing data once a month, and now I have a sensor on my machine that's capturing data every day. Um, from a human's perspective, 30, 30x more data that you're trying to get through. 
it's not sustainable. Uh, and that's where AI is really going to kind of come in. How do I meet those plants' expectations for planning for repairs, knowing what the risk is, how to mitigate that risk? Uh, so yeah, wireless is certainly the future there. Okay. Well, and and you're you're touching on a topic which I was, was going to ask you about too, which is about scheduling repair, that planning and scheduling function, but also spare parts inventory. Um, I've noticed this past year, especially a lot of CMMS vendors are mm. talking more and more about modules they're adding on or features they're adding into their systems to help automate that process, especially dynamic scheduling in the field. Maybe not necessarily within the four plant walls, but to help manage field personnel for sure. Um, how are you seeing AI sort of redefine what plants can do when it comes to improving their scheduling options and managing their spare parts? Yeah, spare parts is interesting because it's interesting for me that it's, uh, coming to be more of a talking point now because we've done this for for decades. If you think about the big contracts that we've managed with, um, like the U.S. Navy and uh, other n- other maritime industries, where you you don't have the luxury of being you know having a huge arsenal uh, of spare parts, uh, <laughs> and you're right. need to keep your ship afloat. Um, right. And they, they can't just go to the big spare part warehouse no, right. in the bottom of the submarine. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Right. The uh, the ship ship depot in the middle in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> right. All those floating depots in the middle of the Atlantic and Pacific. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, I think we had an approach to this that said we need to find uh, emerging faults. It's something that's you know years in the making. Mm-hmm. So our system has like what five levels of severity. Uh, nothing, no problems, machine is healthy, which is still super valuable for a plant, knowing where my risks are or my readiness. Uh, a slight issue is uh, like a, it's a marker for an analyst. It's my beginning stages. I can start trending it, start getting a sense of the, how rapidly something's progressing, what the root cause might be. Um, and we have a, a emerging uh, fault, it's something that is maybe you know many many months or year or so in the making, uh, and that's always been a paramount feature of how we how we approach vibration analysis. That that fault feature extraction from known uh, normal and healthy machine run through that pattern recognition to say, hey, this is an emerging issue, uh, and it speaks to my ability to be able to schedule the repair, plan for what parts are needed make sure I get those on order. I was in the Navy for you know eight and a half years. We did have a huge spare parts inventory, but you have bearings that are sitting, you know, on a ship that's making, has a lot of vibration out at sea. Right. And so, right. yeah, your probability of having a a bearing that has a pre-existing fault is kind of high. Yeah. Uh, if you, the more you transport it or the, if you don't have really solid uh, storage practices, then, um, yeah, you you still run a risk. So waiting until the machine tells that me that I need to have a part on order and then having time to get that part on order uh, is, I think, it, it will evolve considerably and significantly with now, you know, more AI tooling and the like. From a vibrations perspective, I because of because analysts generally need to get through manually through a lot of data, uh, you generally look for, you know, the bigger, bigger problems, bigger takeaways from the data. 
uh, and you don't necessarily manipulate the data in your view to try to find those very early, early faults. And this is where AI kind of comes in, right? So our, our, our diagnostic system sees those little subtle changes mm -hmm. uh, and then you, can, then you can track it. You trend those, you get a progression of time and then you can start making decisions about, hey, this is where I need to uh, steer the course and get parts and stuff ordered. Well, let me ask a, a wrap up question for you in general. Um, and I was curious to again at the SMRP convention in October of this year, um, a lot of first timers to the convention would have heard a lot of presentations on AI. And let's mm -hmm. say they were in reactive mode or they're in route based mode. They're seeking to uh, evolve their maintenance program to something more proactive. What are your thoughts right now on what to tell people as they're moving into more proactive modes, especially when it comes to AI. I mean, I, I think people, there's going to be fear of missing out if they don't get it right the first time, right? So so when you come across those customers, what, what, what's the best advice for them? You, you said something that has me, has me thinking, that's that um, the fear of missing out. It's interesting, right? I hadn't thought about that before. Uh -huh. um, that is certainly true that um, AI is certainly advancing that technology. Uh, as I we were talking about at the beginning of this, um, you know, there's a lot of AI tooling out there, and if you haven't played around with it, you will at some point it'll be there. So it's something that we certainly have to realize that hey, it's not going away, mm -hmm. uh, and it's something that I think we need in our industry um, to handle skills shortages. One of, the, one of the cool things about AI that I thought was fascinating is how easily it can adapt to a skill set, huh. right? So you ask ChatGPT a question and it gives you a very technical answer. <laughs> you can ask it to tell it to you in a, like you don't know anything about anything and it'll it'll adapt, right? It really has a, a sense of how to steer steer its answers to cater to what you're really kind of looking for. But the other takeaway that I have of it was that you're not going to get that answer the first time around. You can't think of it like it's a a Google search and it's going to just spit me back a couple things to reference. It is mm -hmm. its approach to the world is really how do I enable you um, to your skill set, to what your expectations are. If you're coming into uh, this this world. Uh, I think my first advice would be to really kind of understand what is your objective. Um, what is it that you want out of your program? We have that conversation just with wireless sensors alone. Mm -hmm. uh, what is it? What is it that you want from your wireless sensor? Do you want it to just tell you an alarm? Do you need it to tell you what's you know an actual result that you need to to do on your machine? And it's not one solution for it all, right? I might have a a machine that's certainly important for my production but i'm not going to repair it i'm just going to throw it away it's a small throwaway machine but i would certainly like to monitor that machine to know what's what's going on right mm -hmm. is it is it presenting a risk so my objective on that machine and how i approach it with io iot sensors and ai might be different than my big compressor 
right? That's super critical to operation, a huge turbine, super critical to operation. Right, or, or the chiller, which can take down an entire batch if the chiller goes bad. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And does the technology that we have available meet those um, those objectives? Mm-hmm. Again, uh, wire, the same wireless sensor that you would put on that throwaway little, little oil pump down here for your gearbox isn't necessarily going to work well on that big chiller, that big turbine or compressor, right? right? So what is it that you really need out of it? Um, What do you have available to you uh, to accomplish that? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that that goes back to, do I have the staff uh, that I need? Uh, Do I have tooling? Do I understand how to use that tooling? I think the other one is uh, how frequently you need the data. Mm -hmm. Uh, This comes up quite a bit. Um, if you think of about a mechanical fault, anybody who's gone through, you know, any of the vibration uh, certification programs, you know, you think about uh, mean time between failure and the like, and a mechan- as, a, as a mechanical fault. So usually route-based once a month is totally adequate in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then all of a sudden we've shifted to plants wanting that level of diagnostics run on your machines every, every day. Yeah, and so there's a there's a m- mental shift between what is it that you're trying to do here, mm-hmm. right? So you'll have vibration experts like I don't understand why you want so much data, but then you have management like no no I really need to understand the risks. So how right. do you how do you bridge those two things? And I, that's where technology is really going to kind of come in. Um, and if it's a process change, that most certainly that can create risk very rapidly. So are there other things that you want to incorporate within uh, your your predictive maintenance regimen beyond just you know vibration analysis. Are there other things that help you steer that course? And then again, that's just more data that comes in that you need tooling to be able to do something with. Your answer also made me think of the relationship between the average plant and say a new condition monitoring technology like vibration, where People may look at AI right now, since it's a little bit sensational and have a fear of missing out. People don't normally think of vibration analysis as fear of missing out. It's entrenched as a, as an approach and a, and a technology which will help you when you're ready for it. So mm-hmm. to your point, what are you trying to do with your monitoring program? What are your goals? What are your critical machines? Those questions, as you said, they're not really going to change once the AI is in the picture. It's just what is the role of AI in this toolkit you're going to use? That's right. That's right. It, yeah. it becomes another tool that you have. Um, again, back to it's it's a tool that's there. Learning about it, what it's capable of, what its limitations are, uh, right. I think is what all of our our maintenance professionals are going to have to go through. Just like when you know we went from a broadband meter to a narrowband meter, yeah, right? back in <laughs> back in the eighties. Uh, I remember those days well of walking around a machine, uh, all the machines in the plant using a um, a, a, a broadband meter and having a single number that was your deciding factor of whether or not you need to take down the machine and figure out what's wrong with it. We've gone a long way since then. And then I think this new, the new AI world just is going to bring us into another level of that. 